It was last year, and my son, I have three kids, Ava, Aiden, and Alex, and Ava's nine, and Aiden is seven, and Alex is two, and we're having fun. Uh, but Aiden stopped me in my tracks and asked me a question that I didn't really have, wasn't really prepared for. He said, Dad, is Christmas real? It's one of the, one of the hard questions. Does, another one is, where do babies come from? That's like, oh, I wasn't ready for that. And so I had to navigate, and I said, so what do you mean, bud, is Christmas real? Of course Christmas is real. I, he goes, I mean the stories that we talk about at Christmas, like Santa and Elf on a Shelf and Jesus in the Manger. Are those things real? And he had lumped the stories about Christmas all together. And I proceeded to try to walk through the minefield and help him understand this versus that. And I'm not, I see some kids in the room, so I'm not going to get too deep into that, but y'all track where I'm saying. I tried to help kind of draw some lines for my boy. But what he was going through was a very common thing that many of us go through at this time of year. And we hear the Christmas story and we actually stop and you read what it says or you hear what the actual story about Christmas that we just read is talking about. It's pretty steep, like wild stuff, like talking about angel choirs and angel visitations and virgin births and saviors, God being born unto man and peace on earth and goodwill to man, even though you look around the world and you wonder where all the goodwill and peace is, man. Like, have you ever had that kind of thought that, you know what? I have just as easy of a time believing in Santa as I do in the story of Christmas. Anyone ever dealt with that? For the next few weeks, if that's you, we're going to jump in and we're going to actually ask some questions about this conversation of faith and why it's actually entirely rational and it's entirely intelligent to have faith and that you can actually have faith in God and be standing in a very reasonable position. So I want to jump in. We're going to start a brand new series. We're going to use the Christmas story as a platform to have a deeper discussion about things of faith. And so this week I want to just open it up and I want to talk about reason, the reason or the logic for faith. Uh, before we jump in, I want to just do a couple of quick precursors, a couple of ground rules. I want to just speak to a few groups of people here in the room. Uh, the first group I would speak to, to all of us who are listening right now, maybe you're watching online, uh, I want to let you know whether you're new or old to King's Church, this isn't our typical type of service or sermon. This isn't my typical type of sermon. I'm like 80% preach with about 20% teach, but we're going to flip that this time, and it's going to be about 20% preach and 80% teach. We're going to have a lot more data, a lot more quotes, a lot more uh, just kind of things outside of the Bible to back up what we're saying. Because we're going to have a conversation about faith, not from within it. Does that make sense? So I want you to just brace yourself. This is just what we're going to do for the next three weeks. There's a big segment of you that that's actually how you learn and find God. And so I'm glad for that. And we're going to do that. Uh, another group of people I want to speak to, though, to the Bible thumpers. Um, I am one of you. You're my people. If you come here, my, this is my jam. I just want to open the Bible and talk about what it says. But for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of step outside of the Bible and have a conversation around faith. So there won't be as much scripture. I'm not actually preaching from the Bible for the next few weeks. And I need your permission to do that because I want to actually build a bridge for people who aren't at the place where they even take the Bible seriously. Do you know for a lot of people, when you say the Bible says, they say, so what? Because they don't trust it anyway. And so what I want to do is I want to build a framework by which you can actually come to trust the Bible. We're going to do that over the next few weeks. I had a post on Instagram, some books that I was reading in preparation for this series. And some kind soul posted a comment and just said, I don't see the Holy Bible in there. 
And I said, why, thank you. I never even, it didn't even occur to me, thank you. No, it's, it's, I, you need to understand the purpose of this series is so that we can actually hold the Bible out and say, here's why you can trust it. Does that make sense? So we're coming outside of the text for a few weeks, okay? But if you ever hang around here, you'll know. We're a Bible church and I'm a Bible preacher. That's what I do. Okay, to my fellow nerds. Um, we're going to get into apologetics and a little bit of science and creationism and all of that. We aren't going to scratch the surface. I'm a preacher. I am not a scientist. I'm not an apologist. So I don't claim to be one. So we could geek out on this stuff for days. I'm just going to touch the surface. So uh, I encourage you to go and find some resources and dig deeper yourselves. And here's the last thing I would say uh, to two more groups of people. One, if you are a person of faith and I'm preaching to the choir today, I will say... Open yourself up for your faith to be encouraged. I was really checked in preparation for this series because I wasn't super excited about it. Like I said, I'm a Bible teacher. I like getting into the Word. I like kind of preaching, just like bringing a word. And God really has been just really empowering and strengthening my faith as I've dove into this topic. So I think for some of you, uh, just don't write this off just yet. You might actually leave here loving Jesus and believing in God more than you did beforehand, which is the goal of every week. Amen? So if you're already a believer, this is still for you, but I want to speak to the skeptics. I hope you came. I'll say this. If you can, just open your mind and your heart and doubt your doubts and be skeptical about your skepticism. Let's just start there we can at least agree that you have probably lived long enough to have been proven wrong on at least one item in your whole life. Can, I, can, I, can we be honest about that? So be open to the fact that you may not have it all figured out. And I suspect that if you're here, you're already open to that fact. And so we don't need to go there. Okay, we all, we all set? I want to give you three reasons why it's, it's actually reasonable to have a position of faith in an unseen God. Reason number one is this, because... You already have faith. If you, you should take notes for this series. You have one of those really sharp note guides. You can write it. We've got a pen there for you. I think these things will be helpful for you. But first thing I want to unpack is this. There's a reason for faith because every person on planet Earth already has a system of faith by which they are currently operating. Uh, I graduated from Fredericton High School in 2001. For some of you, you're going to sit there and think, man, you're young. And others are going to think, man, you're old. I'm in that weird zone now. I graduated in 2001, and I went to St. Thomas University, and my, I, was, I grew up in a Christian home. I was taught English and then Jesus, and I'm not sure if the chicken came before the egg. I don't know how that rolled. I just know from early childhood, I was given the Word, and I'm thankful for that. I'm doing it with my own kids. I wouldn't trade it. That's the way to bring up a kid. Uh, but I will say, when I got out of high school, I, I was hit with, I went to a liberal arts school, and I, I took a sociology class, and there was a professor there, a lady, uh, she was very smart, very opinionated, you know, total feminist, like I just had never encountered uh, a mind like that from an authority figure, and two things kind of happened because of that class and because of this professor. She began to ask questions surrounding faith. She was a complete atheist, and she poked giant holes in my system of thinking. In fact, if I could be honest, I think she kind of cut the legs out right from underneath me. She started to ask questions that blew giant holes in my whole mindset about faith. Things that I'd never thought of. Things that I never even actually had entertained in my mind. And then she asked a question. And ever, you, ever, you ever notice how a doubt can just kind of weed its way deeper and deeper into your mind? And that's what happened to me in this class. So she started to ask very good questions that I did not have answers for. I had never done the thinking about it. I've never actually wrestled through my reasons for faith for 
for myself. And then on top of that, this wasn't just the first time I encountered those, those questions, but this was the first time I, I didn't just encounter the questions, but I actually encountered an attitude associated with it. That it wasn't just that there were questions coming with it, but she made people to feel belittled if you had faith. Like that and somehow it's an unintelligent, irrational position to have faith in an unseen God. That, that you're, you're in fact dumb if you believe in an unseen God. That was the first time I'd ever encountered that because I grew up within the church. We probably had the opposite attitude, which isn't cool either, that you're dumb if you don't. But this was the first time I ever encountered someone who was highly intelligent, an authority figure, saying very smart things that I had no answer for. And she made me, my faith, not just shaky, but she made me uncomfortable with it, questioning my own intelligence. Has anybody ever been made to feel like that before? That there's this kind of thing that rolls in that would make you, in our culture, that would make you question, is it even reasonable or rational to have faith? Or am I just some dummy following, falling for something that clearly is just a crutch or something that's been fabricated to control people and people made religion? Am I just falling for that stupid thing? Has anybody ever felt that before? I encountered that my first year of university, and that actually, I will say, was a grace from God because what it did was it caused me for the first time in my life to actually dig into why I believe what I believe. And as I dug in, I started to find some actual tangible answers, some reasons for me to believe that there is a God, to believe that Jesus is God, and to believe that he is good news. But if it wasn't for that friction, I never would have had to bite down and find that there are great reasons for faith. And the first reason I found is this, that it is a myth. It is a myth to believe that faith is not an intellectual position. It is a myth to think that science somehow cancels out faith. That that's honestly where it all kind of boils down, isn't it? There's this kind of thing that happens in our culture. It's, it's from in a secular culture, a culture that has this no, belief that there is no God or there probably is no God and that basically what we need to do is lend to science, lend ourselves to science as the ultimate authority on whether or not there is a God. Has anybody ever encountered that before? Like it's like science and faith get pitted as opposites to one another and that actually faith has to become subject to science. Has anybody ever encountered that? before, that to have the faith conversation, it has to happen within the framework of science. This is, an act, this is actually a problem, and this is a thing that all of us face. Uh, a buddy of mine in Vancouver, a guy named Mark Clark, he's a pastor out there of an awesome church. He just published a book called The Problem of God. It's all about this stuff. I highly recommend it. It's super user-friendly, but very smart. And he said this about this kind of conundrum of kind of reconciling faith and science. He said, Christianity and faith in general is seen as naive, simplistic, and incompatible with human reason. It might have a place in a carefully isolated sphere of life, but science should occupy all of life. Science is based on truth and evidence, while faith is based on hopeful thinking and legend. Has anybody ever felt that before? Science is a search for objective evidence that leads humanity forward while faith looks back to ancient teachings and outdated holy books and irrational conclusions in the face of overwhelming evidence otherwise. You see, we live in a world where it has actually, in a society where there's this kind of secular mindset that basically says that you can't take science seriously and still have a position of faith. 
But I would actually like to poke a hole in that and say that that is entirely a myth. Three secular myths I want to point out while we talk about this idea of why it's reasonable to have faith. Myth number one is that somehow science cancels out faith. That somehow scientific discovery can cancel out the rationale behind having faith. Here's something you need to understand. You need to lock this down in your mind. This might free up some believers who, frankly, you've been a little afraid because there's been things discovered that have caused you to doubt. Here's something you need to know. Science, if you are going to stay true to what science actually is, in and of itself, science can never disprove or prove, it can, it can speak to, but it can never disprove the existence of a God. So no matter what people discover, no matter, no matter what science discovers, if they, if they discover the, the God particle or if they find the missing link, that does not indicate whether or not there is an almighty, all-powerful deity outside of the science conversation. Let me boil this down a little bit more. Science is defined as this. this is a, lot of, a lot of big words. Get ready. Here, here's how the, the Webster's Dictionary defines science. Science is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of, here it is, the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Science is a beautiful and wonderful thing. It is a tool used to discover the physical and natural world. It looks into the order of nature and how nature in origin, this is where we get Big Bang Theory, this is where we get, you know, looking back into carbon dating and trying to understand how things have developed into origin science, but also into operation science. We get into how things work. Science is the study of how the nature of things, David Suzuki, the nature of things works. That's what science is. Science operates within the framework of nature. When you get talking about issues of faith, we are actually coming outside of the framework of nature, and we are talking super nature. And you can't draw super nature conclusions from nature realizations. And so no matter what we discover, it does not bring the question and conversation of faith or supernature. It doesn't make it subject to whatever we find out about nature. All it can do at very best is make us say, huh, I guess God made it that way. Like that's what, one of, that's what we have to understand when it comes to this conversation about how faith can somehow cancel out or science can somehow cancel out faith. It cannot. It's the issue of physics and metaphysics. What's physics? Physics is how things work. What's metaphysics? Meta means beyond. It means after. Metaphysics are philosophical questions. But oftentimes you'll be made to believe that there is no God and you'll find people giving metaphysical answers and meta making metaphysical statements off of physical evidence. And you cannot do that. In fact, you're not staying true to what science even is supposed to be in the first place. You aren't actually being true to the, the, the reason behind science in the first place. Look at this. There's a quote by a guy named Dr. Amir Assad. He's a mathematician at Berkeley. And he posted this article in Time Magazine. It's a great article. And the, the article's entitled, why, God, or why Science Can Never Disprove the Existence of a God. And he says this, Science is an amazing and wonderful undertaking. It teaches us about life and the world and the universe, but it has not revealed to us the universe that the universe or why the universe came into existence, nor what preceded its birth in the Big Bang. 
Biological evolution has not brought us the slightest understanding of how the first living organisms emerged from the inanimate matter on this planet and how the advanced eukaryotic cells, the highly structured building blocks of advanced life forms, ever emerged from simpler organisms. Neither does it explain one of the greatest mysteries of science. How did consciousness arrive in these living things? Where does symbolic thinking come and self-awareness come from? What is it that allows humans to understand the mysteries of biology and physics and mathematics and engineering and medicine? And what is enables us to create great works of art and music and architecture and literature. Science is nowhere near to explaining these deep mysteries. It can't be. It can give commentary. It can give theory on it. But when we get talking about issues of faith, that is a metaphysical, philosophical question. Science cannot cancel out faith. So that's myth, myth one. Myth two is this that the church and Christians somehow need to be or are anti-science. Let me say this to some of you Christians here today. You don't need to be afraid of whatever the scientific community discovers. You should celebrate it and say, man, isn't my God awesome? You don't need to be afraid of it. I, I, I was taught, like, there, and there are some avenues and lanes within the church, even within your church family, not our church, but there are some churches that would really defend against some science. And you know what? Some science needs to be pushed back in, backed on. I'm going to talk about how a lot of science is theory anyway. But nonetheless, we have nothing to fear. The science can't cause us to just destroy our faith no matter what they discover. But the second thing I would say is this, that the church has never been anti-science. That in fact, a lot of modern science has been developed by Christians. So there's this mindset out there that Christians are these dumb podunk people who all think Oprah's the Antichrist, Right? <laughs> Isn't that the mindset that like, the media would spin on a lot of Christians like to make you feel like you're unintelligent and we're against science? The truth is, a lot of the leading scientists on the planet today are believing, Bible-believing Christians. And not only that, throughout history, some of the most influential people in the scientific community have been believers. The church has never shied away from it. Do you know where we get the, the whole concept of modern university from? We got it from Christians who were trying to, to create atmospheres and, and places by which we could discover reality and discover God's world all the more. You think about like the great universities of our world, Harvard, Yale, Oxford. They were all originally Christian institutions. The church has never been shy of that. Great heroes of the scientific community. Let me read a few. Uh, Sir Francis Bacon, probably the most influential one behind all of modern day science. He developed modern scientific methodology. He was a Bible-believing Christian. He had this great quote once. He said, a little science estranges a man from God, but a lot, a lot of science brings him back. And that's what, we, that's what we're finding. Not we. I shouldn't say we. I am not part of the scientific community by any stretch of the imagination. I've been in it for a week. <laughs> uh, they... A lot of science, a lot of the science community are finding that. People who are on the fringes of discovery and cosmology and astrophysics and, and biology, people are more and more just kind of at the end of their knowledge saying there is still this huge gap that I've got to fill with some kind of answer. And a lot of, a lot of people are choosing to, to answer the, the, the faith question with, I believe there's a God. Copernicus, the Polish astronomer, the great mathematician who discovered planetary motion, he was a believer. Johannes Kepler also worked on planetary motion. He was a believer. Galileo, believer. 
Rene Descartes, the mathematician who helped, again, continue the, the, the work in modern, developing modern scientific methodology. Blaise Pascal, the guy who developed the vacuum. Not, not the vacuum. The, the vacuum. He developed the vacuum, the thinking behind that. He was, a, he was a Christian. Robert Boyle, the great chemist. Michael Faraday, the guy who paved the way for computer science, for electricity, telephone lines. That guy, believer. Uh, William Kelvin, Max Planck, the great quantum physicist. Albert Einstein, ever heard of that guy? He firmly denied atheism. Firmly denied it. He said at one point, I want to know how, I want to know how God created this world, and I am not interested in this or that phenomenon in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. Here's something I want to just destroy. If, if you're a Christian here and you've confronted this attitude, or maybe you're a skeptic and you have this attitude, you have got to understand this. There have been and there are people who are far smarter than you who have probed the depths of the known universe and come out the other side with the conclusion there is a God. So you cannot walk around with this arrogant attitude to say, if you have faith, you're simple. Because highly intelligent people have come to the conclusion that there is a God. There are highly intelligent people right sitting around you right now, people who are educated, people who have gone to med school, people who have gone through philosophy classes and have actually t sat down and said, you know what, if, after all the evidence, I believe. It is not an unintelligent, stupid decision to have faith. That's a myth. Last, last myth, I'm going to move on to another reason. This myth that I am not a person of faith, I believe in science that I'm not a person of faith, I believe in science. That's another secular myth that underscores this conversation of faith. People excuse themselves from the conversation of faith by saying, I just believe in science and history. That's what I believe in. I don't have faith. That is an incorrect statement. Every human being who has ever lived on planet Earth, that I, I would argue with the exception of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been a person with a robust faith system. Every human being who has ever lived has had a robust faith system on which they operate. The problem is a lot of people are just blissfully unaware of the fact that they are living by faith all the time. They don't catch the fact where they're making faith statements. Like I've been to many funerals. I've been to funerals of atheistic families. They're, they're, it's not fun. But I've been to funerals of atheistic families and they're, they're, they're just, they're, they make statements and they don't even realize they're making metaphysical, philosophical statements that they actually vehemently deny. Like I remember one person hearing, hearing them say, you know what, well, so-and-so is not suffering anymore. How do you know? How do you know they're not suffering? How do you know what happens after you take your last breath and your eyes close and your heart stops? How do you know that? You are now making metaphysical, philosophical assumptions. I would say you have faith. You see, every person has faith. Every person, and you might be the biggest skeptic ever. You are hunkered down in your skeptical faith system. That's what I want you to understand. You have faith. Mark Clark goes on to say this in his book. He says, isn't faith blind belief? Isn't it something religious people have versus the rest of humanity, say atheists and agnostics, who believe in the facts and the evidence? Not at all. Everyone, even the most convinced atheist, has a faith position. Everyone believes in something and makes assumptions about reality that can't be proven even through science. One might say, I don't believe in God. I follow where science and history leads us, objectively, without a predetermined agenda. I don't have faith in anything. Such a person is not being honest with himself. 
Everything we believe is filtered through a grid or a worldview that has been adopted over time, constructed from a myriad of variables, where and when we were born, our family, our education, media, etc. Here it is. We are frequently unaware of these presuppositions. But we must see that all of them are, to a certain degree, faith-based conclusions, rather than beliefs adopted through empirical proof. Skepticism is itself a narrow-minded and dogmatic set of beliefs, a commitment to a lifestyle of consistent doubt. In choosing not to commit to any one belief about spiritual or ultimate things, skeptics feel they are being open-minded, but they miss the inherent irony that to not commit to one set of beliefs is about spiritual matters is itself a choice to commit to a set of beliefs about spiritual matters. The problem is that people are often lack, they often lack the self-awareness to recognize this contradiction. See, so if you came in here built up on this, I just believe in science, I don't have faith, I don't want to have a faith conversation, you are already having a faith conversation. You already have a faith system in which you are sitting on and defending. The question I would ask you is, is your faith reasonable? Is it possible that this faith system in which you are currently sitting, is it possible that you are actually exercising a more robust faith than the person who would say, I believe there is a God? I would argue you are. Second reason why I think it's important, or I think there's actually a reason to have faith, is this. Reason for faith number two. Because you have evidence. There is evidence all around us that there is a God, that there is a higher power. There's evidence everywhere, actually overwhelming evidence, so overwhelming that, again, I would argue that if you are holding down and hunkering down in your doubts, you are currently exercising more radical faith to continue to believe there is no God than the faith that would require to look around you and say, yeah, I see a divine fingerprint on everything. If you look around the world and you look for reason, you have to look no further. Evidence number one, evidence number one is that there's just this magnificent creation that we live in. Maybe you don't call it creation. Maybe you just call it the universe or whatever you want to call it. Look around. Like, look at it. Look at the sky at night when there's no clouds. I mean, look at clouds. That's amazing that clouds actually work and they perform a function. But then when the clouds part, you see the stars and you think, I see one star and that's millions or billions of light years away. And that, I, you know what, I can't even fathom the distance of it. And it's so far away that that star could even be out and we've just been experiencing its light for years and years and years. Like, pfft, right? Like, can you, you look around things? Look at your body like your cardiovascular system, your, your nervous system, your skeletal structure, the fact that you breathe, the fact that you can see. I remember one time I, I was sit, uh, sitting in the eye doctor chair with my doctor, Andrew Weir. He goes to our church, and I remember asking him the question, like, or he was telling me about my eyes, and he showed me inside my eyeball. And I go, oh, there's nothing there. And, and he, uh, he goes... He goes, no, there's nothing in there. It's empty space. And, 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 he, and I go, why? Like, so how does it work? And he goes, well, we know some things. And he starts to tell me some things I didn't understand. I can't recite to you. But he ends up, though, saying, but there's a lot of the I that just defies logic. Evolutionary theory can't, can't actually quantify it. It's just a mystery. And I go, dude, it's magic. And, and he goes, you know what it is? And he goes, actually, it was the I that caused me to believe in a God. 
I went to med school and I decided I want to find out everything I can know about the human eye and why it works and why you can see. And I learned some things, but I found there's more mystery attached to it than there is things we know. And so I think there's things yet to discover, but there are things that defy explanation about it. All that to say he saw the fingerprint of God in the design. It's amazing to me that we humans, we can look at the pyramids in Egypt and we can say, well, there's structure and shape and purpose and alignment, maybe some artistry and some personality to it. My conclusion is someone put that there. Right? And in fact, we have really crazy cooked up theories as to who put it there. Like some, maybe it was aliens. <laughs> maybe. You know what? They talk to me about aliens sometime. But anyway. <laughs> but the, the point is this. How can we in our world look at that and say, clearly someone made it. But then we can look at people and look at the human body and look at the tides and look at the sunset and look at the beach and look at the mountains and look at snow and how trees work as this filtration system for the earth. And we look at this amazing creation and we say, crazy accident, huh? It's the strangest thing, right? Like think, there, there are ardent atheists who are happily married, which I, don't, I sometimes don't wonder, I wonder if you're like purely evolutionist. Anyway, happily married and committed to one relation, monogamous relationship, which again, if, you, if it's survival of the fittest, you should just be able to go sleep with whoever you want, but, any, but it's not. I'll get to that in a second. But they're committed to their relationship and they've had babies. When my daughter was born, it was one of the most worshipful experiences in my whole life in that it was one of the, and I don't mean this in any crass way, it was one of the greatest oh my God moments I've ever had. Because my part in it was super fun. <laughs> and I was a stalwart of support, but really, like, you know what? We did that thing and then nine months later we baked a life. And I'm holding a child with a personality and hair and an eye color and she sort of looks like me and she sort of looks like her mom and she's beautiful and she's breathing and she has a purpose and I gave her a name. Like, how can you hold that and say, wow, what a coincidence. <laughs> like, you'd never do that if you're walking down the beach and you picked up an iPhone and you're looking at it, you'd never say, man, evolution is powerful. This even has iOS 10. You wouldn't. Because you know there's a fingerprint on it. There's a design. There's a functionality that someone purposed this. Someone thought this up. Someone conceived it. Someone caused it. That's the greatest argument, I think, against the fact that there is no God. Like, how do you explain cause? Like, again, I'm not afraid of the Big Bang Theory by any means. I'm not afraid of evolution. That doesn't, doesn't hurt me at all. Okay, they find the missing link. They prove the Big Bang Theory. That's great. Who lit the match? Right? Like, like there's still, again, you have to come outside of the physical conversation to, to deal with the metaphysical question that what caused everything? And I think when we look around creation, it's screaming, God. That's what Psalm 19 means, that the creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Like, look around, open your eyes. You're blind. Actually, I could go further and talk about that there's, a, there's spiritual forces that are actually causing you blindness. That the great thing between you and God is actually things that have been built up to block the knowledge of God. 
You ever think about the complexity of creation? We're going to geek out for a second. Like, in order, like if you take the Big Bang, for instance, 1929, Edmund Hubble looks through a telescope and sees a small pinprint in time where they, they theorize and believe that that's actually back to the origin some, I think, however many billion years ago. I wrote it down. 138 billion years ago. Anyway, that's probably wrong. Don't fact check me. Billions of years ago. But however, they talk about this singularity, how in this moment, this power bursts onto the scene and the universe was created and energy has been expanding out ever since and space has been expanding since that moment. So they track it back to that moment. But the thing that blows my mind is this, that the laws of physics had to be pre-existent in order for creation to be able to burst on the scene and to actually work. Do you ever think of that? Like the environment had to already be predetermined. The, the framework had to already be built before the thing got painted. And so a lot, a lot of physicists and, and, and scientists would say like the cosmos is this infinite amount. The universe is this infinite amount of tiny little dials perfectly fabricated and dialed in to the nth degree. And they all touch one another and are all affected by one another. And they have created the perfect, perfect environment to support the universe as we know it. And the odds of that happening are mind-bending. Uh, Amir Asad continues in his article, he says this, Why did everything we need to exist come into being? How was all of this possible without some latent outside power to orchestrate the precise, precise dance of elementary particles required for the creation of all the essentials of life? The great British mathematician Roger Penrose has calculated based on only one of the hundreds of parameters. What are the parameters? Like the, where the position of the sun in relationship to this universe, this galaxy and that galaxy, and the angle of the earth and the rotation of the earth and how it spins. Those are parameters. He's calculated that one of those parameters, let's take that the earth was at the just right angle in order to support life. He says he's calculated that one of those parameters, that the possibility of the emergence of life a life-giving cosmos was 1 divided by 10 raised to the power of 10 and again raised to the power of 123. This is as close to zero as anyone has ever imagined. The probability is much, much smaller than that of winning the Mega Millions jackpot for more days than the universe has been in existence. The incredible fine-tuning of the universe presents the most powerful argument for the existence of an imminent, imminent creative entity we may well call God. Lacking convincing scientific evidence to the contrary, such a power may be necessary to force all the parameters we need for our existence, cosmological, physical, chemical, biological, and cognitive, to be what they are. What's he saying? He's saying, he's saying that the odds of everything being just so are so astronomically low it's, it's, it, you have a better chance of every day waking up and winning the Lotto Max from now until eternity, through, all through eternity, like for billions of years. Those are your odds. And so some people, some people have developed this idea of the multiverse. You ever heard of the multiverse? Like there's actually multiple parallel and intersecting universes. And so they, they theorize that the reason why our universe came into being was it was the one out of an infinite amount of possibilities that had just the right scenario at just the right time to be able to handle life. But then I would push back and say, if you can muster up the faith to believe in an infinite amount of irrelevant, disconnecting universes that just so happen to bake this, if you have the faith to believe in an infinite amount of universes, 
how is it so hard for you to believe in one infinite God? That's, that's what I was trying to, would try to propose to you today, is that you already have faith. I'm not convinced it's reasonable. Evidence number three, that there's a God, I would just say this, and I'm going to wrap up here in a second. You are full of consciousness and morality. You are full of cravings and meaning. Let me say it like this. You have a personality in you. You have a sense of longing in you. You have a sense of justice. You have a standard of morality in you that was there from day one. No one taught it to you. You just know. You have a sense of right from wrong. If we are all just part of the evolutionary food chain, then that defies the whole idea of morality. For instance, uh, if you saw a shark eat another shark, you would say, man, sharks are crazy. You say, he must have been hungry, right? But if you saw a human eat another human, you'd say, you are crazy and that is murder. And that is wrong, correct? If you saw a shark force itself on another shark to, to reproduce, you'd say, guess that's how they do it. If you saw a human force himself on another human, you call that rape and it is wrong. And we know it, don't we? Evolution has not taught us that. There has been a predetermined set of standards. There has been a predetermined judgment, morality. There has been a predetermined personality to the universe that has been placed in us. How do you explain that? Like if, if you believe in evolution to its fullness, if you believe in natural selection even and survival of the fittest, then you can't look at, you can't look at the Holocaust in judgment, truly. Because really, that's just, that's just nature, Right? But none of us would do that. Even the most ardent atheists wouldn't do that. They'd say that is horrific and they would call it wicked, wouldn't they? Because it is. Because there's something in us. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the heart of man. Like, like what is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. You know, no more. Dun, 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 dun. No, just seeing if you're paying attention. What is love? Why are you laughing? Why is that significant in any small way? Why is that funny? Why, what's joy? What's humor? Like, where does that come from? You don't see any stand-up comedic lions, right? They're not gathering around listening to the funniest lion. Like, because, why? Because inside of us, God has placed his thumbprint. He's placed it in our DNA. It's in us. You were born on purpose. There is a personality to the cosmos. I'll read you one more quote, and then I'll wrap up. A guy named Greg Boyd, uh, just a pastor I, I like, and he's a pastor in Minnesota. He's a theologian, super smart guy, and he was the first Christian in his whole family out of a family of atheists and agnostics. And he ended up having this ongoing dialogue with his father, who was an ardent atheist. And so to engage this faith conversation, they kept going back and forth in letters. And so he compiled all the letters later and published it in a book called Letters to a Skeptic, which is his conversations with his dad. And I pulled one small thing out on this whole evidence of meaning and longing and morality. And he said this to his father, we humans instinctively assume that love is a reality that is only the only detail worth living for and dying for. We instinctively assume that. But nature seems to be an indifferent, loveless, brute process of colliding chemicals, and so our ideals are reduced to reacting hormones, if you follow that logic. We humans instinctively assume that our moral convictions are true to reality, do we not? 
There are, of course, people to say that moral convictions are just a matter of taste, but if you cut them off at an intersection, their, con- their convictions change. You did a gross injustice. And we humans instinctively hunger for meaning and purpose. You can see it all around in the way people behave. We strive to infuse our lives with some sort of significance and some sort of meaning. But if our cosmos is ultimately indifferent and purposeless, all we are, all we do, and all we believe in, all we strive for is just dust in the wind. After we exist, it matters not whether anyone has ever or will ever exist again. Everything is ultimately meaningless. So... Unless the ultimate source of all existence is at least as personal as we are, Dad, my contention is that who we are is both unexplainable and extra hard to swallow. He's saying the greatest cause to believe in a God is the personality of creation. It's your personality. It's your sense of morality, your sense of longing that's your reason for faith. One more reason. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to wrap up. Reason for faith number three. Here it is. So reason for faith number one is because you already have it. Reason for faith number two is because there's plenty of evidence. Reason for faith number three. And this is really where we need to land because we could stay talking about those other two for days and days and days. And there's way better people to talk on those subjects than me. But I will say this from experience. The reason you need to have faith in God is because until you exercise it, you'll never know he's there. You'll never experience God. Here's why. Because faith is the mechanism by which we encounter an unseen God. It's by faith. And we can, we can stand, I can stand up here and I can build a systematic case. I can try to build a platform for you to stand on to give you some legs for your faith and reasons why to kind of to help build you up. But at the end of the day, you're going to walk to a place where there are unanswered questions. It's hypothesis. You aren't certain. But what I have experienced in my life is this. Every time I have stepped out and said, I believe in Jesus, I have found my feet on solid ground. Every time I've chosen to believe the Bible for what it says it is, I've found it solid and true. Every time I've trusted what Jesus says about me, I found it to be true. Every time I've trusted Jesus and what he says about the world, I found it to be true. He just keeps proving himself true to me over and over and over again. But the only way I have been experiencing that, and some of you can speak to this, the only way you experience that is when you step in faith. And so we can talk about reasons why you should believe all day long, but at the end of the day, you have to take a step of faith. It says in Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That anyone who believes in him, or you know, if you want to experience him, you must believe that he exists and that he actually has good things for you. It requires faith and you'll never experience him otherwise. I remember uh, last time we did a baptism service, my middle, son, my middle child, Aiden, he's seven. He got asked me, he goes, dad, I want to get baptized. And I'm all for kids being baptized, but I just want them to know why they're getting baptized. So the last couple of times he said that, I quizzed him, got the answer wrong. I said, we'll talk next time. He said this time, he goes, because I asked Jesus into my heart and I want people to know about it. And that was the right answer. And I said, all right, buddy, next time I'm gonna get in, I'm gonna do it with you, all right? And so next time we do a baptism in January, I'm gonna baptize my son. Um, But I asked him, I said, buddy, what? 
Why do you believe? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe that he's real? And how do you know? How do you, you can't see him. How do you know? And he goes, I just do, Dad. I just do. And he went on about his business. And it was as simple as that. It wasn't some big equation he cooked up. He didn't read a bunch of books and study and come to a dramatic conclusion. He chose to believe. One time Jesus was teaching in a crowd and there's a bunch of people around him. There were some educated people, some, some scholars, some, some uh, scribes, some Pharisees. There was uh, the regular public and the disciples were all around and Jesus is preaching and there was kids running around and Jesus grabbed one of the kids to make a point and he said this, unless you become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is this, that in order to experience this God that you cannot see, the mechanism is by humbling yourself and having a childlike faith that says this, I don't need to have all the answers. Was it six literal days or was it 60 billion years? I don't know. Was the flood, was it localized or was it global? I don't know. Did, did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish or is that an allegory? I don't know. All I know is there is a God. His name is Jesus. And every time I have stepped in his direction, I have found firm footing. And the only way you'll ever know is if you make that decision, you say, you know what? I've explored the evidence. I still have questions. I think it's a reasonable position, but it's still a faith position. And so I would ask you this question. If you're a skeptic, you have a faith position right now. Are you currently exercising more faith in what you cannot prove than you would be if you just stepped out and said, Jesus, I'm gonna trust you. I suspect you are. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and I wanna pray for us today. I'm gonna pray for our faith. And I wanna just speak for a second to the ones who you would say, you know what, I've never actually, I've hung around I've stepped out and I've had the, the faith conversation. I've hung out on the stage. I've built the platform, but I've never actually taken that step and said, I believe. I've never done that childlike thing that says, all right, conversation over. I just believe. And if that's you, I have a word for you. And it's this. God wants you to know that if you are waiting for some day, for some magic answer to fall out of the sky to make everything click before you say, I surrender, that day's never coming. And you will die not knowing the only God who is life. And that today is the day of salvation. And today is the day where you say, okay, I look at the evidence. I have my reasons why I'm making this step. I still have lots of questions and it's still a step of faith, but I today am deciding to put my faith in Jesus. And I believe if you do that, you're gonna find a whole world of truth you never even knew existed. So I'm gonna ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to give you an invitation. And people, very humbly, not dramatically, but very calculated in the decision to say, you know what, I'm done deliberating. I'm just going to, I'm going to decide to believe. People all weekend have been deciding. There were 10 last night and there were nine this morning. And I think there's going to be some people here this morning that, and with you guys that need to make that decision and stop putting it off. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to count to three. There's no magic in that. But when I, when I say three, I want to propose a deadline. Make a decision. You know what? You could, you could have this argument and dialogue till the day you die and be missing out on the whole life of fruitfulness and joy that you never even knew possible. And so when I get to three, I just want you to shoot your hand up and indicate to God, I believe, I don't even totally know what all that means, but I'm in. And so one, 
The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe that he's been raised from the dead, you will be saved. You'll find new life. The Bible says, too, today is the day of salvation. You don't have to go and get your affairs straight. You don't have to go and fix things up. He wants you in all your broken mess. Today is the day. Stop Stop putting it off till tomorrow. Three, if that's you today and you want to give your life to Jesus, you just slip your hand up. I want to pray. Put it up. Awesome. Awesome. That's good. There's hands all over the place. Oh, that's so good. You can put them down. Let's, uh, how many of you know people who are already believers, you know that faith is a fight and faith takes work. And so I, I would ask you, let's all pray this together and just re-bolster and recommit our faith today. And I just get you to repeat this after me out loud. Jesus, you are God. I am not. I believe in you. I give you my life. I turn from my sins and I'm going to live for you today and forever. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. You guys, there's about 10 people that put their hands up this morning. So let's just celebrate that. The band's going to play and we're going to be done, but I want to just encourage you, especially those of you who, who just raised your hand for the first time. Uh, you can't do this alone. And you just started the journey. You didn't arrive. You just started. And we want to walk with you. And so take some time. Find a person in a red shirt. Fill out your card and put it or take it to the red tent. We can just help come alongside you and help you take your next steps and give you more things to think about and things to do with your life so you can discover this God. You can't, you can't do this by yourself. Come back next week. We're going to talk about why you can trust this story of Christmas, why Jesus is who he says he is, and we're going to build a case for Christ. So come on back next week. Let's sing and let's worship.